silence is often misunderstood and very awkward. It can be very uncomfortable. But what is silence? Where can it be found? And why is it more important now than ever? These are the exact questions that philosopher and famed Norwegian explorer Erling Kegg sought to answer in his masterpiece, Silence in the Age of Noise. This is one of my favorite books ever written. And in this book, he gives 33 answers slash stories that show the reader what silence might be. And in his introduction, Keg tells a story about a dinner with his daughters. As the dinner started, Keg wanted to have a conversation with his teenage daughters around the subject of silence. He was trying to convince his teenage daughters that the world's secrets could be found in silence. Yet his daughters would not believe him. They believed that silence was nothing. In fact, they believed that silence was only good to have on hand when you were sad. Other than that, it had no purpose and it was useless. Kage sat there and thought about how he wished his daughters could understand that silence is of more value than any Louis Vuitton bag they could have. He wanted them so desperately to become like they were when they were younger, where they were curious and they had wonder about the world. But now, with knowledge at their fingertips, there was no sense in wondering anymore. There was no sense in being curious about anything because you could get an answer in a second. But Keg is very creative. So to draw their attention to silence, he told them a story. And I want to read that story to you. Once again, this is from his perspective with his daughters. So I'm going to give a little bit of input before, tell the story and then you'll see what happens. None of them, as in his daughters, had any interest in discussing the subject of silence. So in order to invoke it, I told them about two friends of mine who decided to climb Mount Everest. Early one morning, they left base camp to climb the southwest wall of the mountain. It was going well. Both reached the summit, but then came the storm. They soon realized they would not make it down alive. The first got a hold of his pregnant wife via satellite phone. And together they decided on the name of the child that she was carrying. Then he passed quietly just below the summit. My other friend was not able to contact anyone before he died. No one knows what exactly happened on the mountain in those hours. Thanks to the dry, cool climate, 8,000 meters above sea level, they have both been freeze-dried. They lie there in silence, looking no different, more or less, from the way they were the last time I saw them 
20 years ago. For once, there was silence around the table. One of our mobile phones pinged with an incoming message, but none of us thought to check our phones just then. Instead, we filled the silence with ourselves. Could it be that as awkward and weird and misunderstanding as silence is, it is also a beautiful gift to cultivate in our lives in order to understand the secrets of the world? So Lord, as we head into a time together looking at the art of silence and solitude, Lord, I pray that your word would be true in our hearts today. That we would recognize that your truth is so deep and so vast that it can transform our lives. Lord, I pray that we would cultivate silence and solitude in our lives to sit with you daily, knowing it's you who gives us strength. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we will be talking about the art of silence and solitude and the importance of this spiritual practice in a day and age where we seek to fill every second with noise and input. It's a blessing to be able to speak on this spiritual discipline because it is the one that has transformed my life. My name's Nathan and I'm one of the pastors here at Creekside Church. And we have been in a sermon series called The Art of Being a series in which we try to cultivate space to simply be with God, to abide in the ways of Jesus, to sit and learn to be like Jesus so we can go and be like Jesus. So to start us off, I want to ask you a very simple question, and it is not a trick question, all right? What is the opposite of silence? Thank you. Wow, you guys are so smart. Oh my gosh. That is correct. Ooh, back. Noise is the opposite of silence. Or as Erling Keg would say, noise is always about running away from yourself. Silence is about learning about yourself. Noise is the easiest option in life. And in my opinion, there are two forms of noise and there are two forms of silence. The two forms of noise are external noise and interior noise. External noise is really easy to describe. It's any noise that you hear with your ears. Music, cars, TV, uh, siblings, kids, am I right? Uh, our phones, right? External noise is easy to explain and describe, and it's very easy to see how external noise is exactly that, noise. Inner, internal noise is an interesting thing, in my opinion. The noise going on within us, the noise going on in our heads, the thoughts that we really have when we're driving in the car, these thoughts the internal noise in our minds. They come from the clutter 
of external noise. Things like social media, TV, ads, magazines, books, and other things, they are external from us, but they cause internal noise. If you spend a lot of time on Instagram, I'm going to be honest, you're probably a little bit more judgmental. You might also be quick to compare different things. If you sit and you watch TV ads that tell you you're not beautiful without this, you're not going to get strong enough if you don't do this. If you watch enough of that, your mind will be influenced to believe that you are not beautiful and you are not strong enough. The external noise we allow in our lives is doing something internally to us. We become like what we spend time with. And we rarely ever are able to truly wonder anymore because when we get bored, we grab our phones and look at Instagram, look through old photos, uh, text, call someone. We seek input after input and what we don't recognize is input is wreaking havoc on our souls. The smartest people in the world are working day and night to make this thing the most addicting thing in your entire life. I heard this week, and I actually believe that this statistic is going to go up even more, but I heard this week that we spend 13 years of our lives looking at a screen. 13 years of our life looking at a screen. It's no wonder that our attention spans as a culture are shrinking. It's no wonder that we're not able to have conversations anymore because we've lost the art of having conversations. The noise we allow in our lives is robbing us of the ability to be present to the reality in front of us. The noise we allow in our life is allowing us to not be present with our families, with our friends, with our community. And worst of all, the noise we allow in our lives is making it hard to hear the still small voice of God. And the truth is we like to blame the devil or we like to blame God for not hearing him, but more than likely it's our fault for allowing the inputs in our life that we allow. So maybe instead what we need to do is learn to limit our inputs. If we want to be able to hear the still small voice of God, maybe we have to create space to actually be with him. We have to learn to quit the external noise and the interior noise to seek after God because the honest truth is that noise is toxic to our souls. And the sad part is it's far easier to pick noise than it is to pick anything else because noise is where we go to avoid ourselves. We believe that noise will provide this comfort, but when we head to that comfort, we recognize that we actually feel worse about ourselves afterwards. We think that we can get rest from binge-watching TV, but then afterwards we feel guilty, we blame shame on ourselves, we sit there and we don't feel good about ourselves. We're not finding rest or comfort in noise. We're finding the complete opposite of it. But if only <laughs> there was a spiritual practice that could allow us to create space, that could allow us to stop everything, to get away from all the noise, to sit in silence and away from everything and everyone. And that spiritual practice is called silence and solitude. And it's important to see why silence is so important in our lives. It's important to see why we don't need to spend every day on our phones. 
And the truth is, the last three sermons we've gave in the last three weeks have had a similar theme. The art of being, the art of prayer part one, the art of prayer part two. We ended all that time with, hey, sit in silence before God. We ended every single one of those weeks with the exact same thing. But what we may not understand is the very act of creating silence and solitude in our life is defiance in a culture of hurry and noise. And it is the way that we are able to hear the still small voice of God and have a radical relationship with God. Dallas Willard says that it is silence and solitude alone that opens the possibility of a radical relationship to God that can withstand all external events up to and beyond death. And if we want to live like Jesus, we need to implement silence and solitude because Jesus had a radical relationship with God. And if Jesus practiced silence and solitude and Jesus was half God and half man, how much more do we fully human people need to do this? We see throughout the Gospels that Jesus would often withdraw to lonely places and sit and be with God. And we see in those moments right afterwards, he comes back with a powerful message. He comes back ready to heal and serve the people around him. It is from his time in silence and solitude that he was filled to do the work of God. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at one of these examples. We're going to look at Mark 1, and we're going to look at verse 35. Mark 1, 35. Mark 1, 35 says this, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Or as the New King James Version puts it, Now in the morning... Having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And although this is one verse, two lines on our screen this morning, it shows the heart of Jesus. It shows what was important to Jesus. Because if we look at the life of Jesus leading up to this point, let's look at uh, Mark 1, 21 through 28, the heading, Jesus heals a man with an unclean spirit. The heading of verses 29 through 34, Jesus heals many. Right after this section of scripture, 40 through 45 says, Jesus cleanses a leper. Then right after that, chapter 2, Jesus heals a paralytic. But right here in verse 35, we see that Jesus chose not to sleep. He chose to give up sleep to spend time with God because spending time with God gave him the power to come back and do these things. It was his time with God that he got away from everyone and everything and sat and prayed so he could be filled with the, the Holy Spirit and his calling to step back into the world of noise. William Barclay, a Scottish New Testament interpreter, had this to say about this section of scripture. He says, now Jesus knew well that he could not live without God. That if he was going to be forever giving out, preaching, teaching, healing, walking alongside people, he must at least sometimes take in. Jesus knew that he could not live without prayer. 
Jesus knew that if he was to meet men, he must first meet God. If this is true of Jesus, how much more is it true of us? If we want to hear the still small voice of God, we will have to make space to hear it. We will have to cultivate space to hear from him. And I keep saying still small voice because there's a really powerful story in the Old Testament where the prophet Elijah hears the voice of God. We see this take place in 1 Kings 19. It'll be on the screen and I'm going to read it. 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13. And this is what it says. It says, And he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. And he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Erling Keg, who is not a Christian, at least I don't think, wrote this book on silence, and he uses this as an example. I want to share what he says about this story. He says, in some religions, the gods appear as a thundercrack or a storm. In the Bible, God is often the silence. In the book of Kings, we are told of the way in which God reveals himself to Elijah. First came the hurricane, then an earthquake, and after that, fire. God was not in any of them. God came later in a small, quiet voice or a brittle voice, as some newer translations have it. God is in the silence. And if God is in the silence, we have to learn to create space to sit in the silence. And if God is in the silence, we have to understand what it means to hear the voice of God or how we hear the voice of God. And so to answer that question, how do we hear the voice of God, we all have different answers to this. Every single one of us will have a different answer to this question. I'm going to share from my own personal life of what it means for me to hear the voice of God. Yes, God speaks through scripture. I also believe he speaks through people. I also believe he speaks through nature. But there are times in my own internal thought process where I'm sitting in silence and solitude where I hear something and I believe it is God. When I have a thought that is similar to the inner voice I already have, it's not like this different voice. It sounds like an inner voice that I already have. It's familiar, but it's divine. And it's not something that I would come up with on my own strength, power, or wisdom. It's a word, a thought, or a sentence that is not opposite to Scripture, and it's not opposite to the character of God or Jesus. 
It is a word, sentence, or thought that feels as though it is divine, but it is rooted in the very nature and character and truth and grace of God. And it might be different for you, but this is how I have gained insight into the voice of God. And gaining insight into the voice of God starts as you create space to hear from him to listen to the still, small voice of God, because God speaks. He speaks through this word right in front of us. This is his very word. It is a letter to us from the very first pages to the very last pages of how God will never stop chasing after you. No matter what we do, no matter how far we run from him, he always comes back. And he sent his son to die for us so that we can have a genuine relationship with him. This is the word of God. It's one way we can hear him. Another way we can hear him is if we look out at his creation. It's beautiful. We can see him in his creation. For parents, look at your kids. God is in nature. And God will speak to you if you begin to create space to sit in silence and solitude. To hear God, we must create space for this. We have to create space to sit in silence and solitude. So what exactly am I talking about when I speak of silence and solitude? I know that's a silly question to ask because you're like, really, silence and solitude, super easy to answer, Nathan. Come on now, don't be stupid. But like I already said about hearing the voice of God, we all have different answers. We all have different things that we think solitude means and silence means. And so I'm just going to throw out my answer to this. When I think of which question I would rather answer first, I'm going to answer solitude first because it's way easier. (laughs) So what is solitude? Solitude is not isolation or loneliness. Solitude is a voluntary and temporary withdrawal to privacy for spiritual purposes. Richard Foster, in his famous book on spiritual practices, says that loneliness is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfillment. Solitude is purposeful, and our goal in seeking it is to sit before the God of the universe, to withdraw for the purpose of just sitting there. Solitude is about being alone with God, and if I'm honest, You can't have silence without solitude. Without solitude, there is no silence. So what is silence? Well, as I already answered, Kagan in his book had 33 answers to this question. There is no real answer, but there are two forms of silence. Exterior silence is easier to understand. Turn off the TV. Put your phone away. Stop listening to Spotify. Stop listening to music. Find a quiet place and just sit. Don't add any noise to the area. Just sit and watch the wind. Look at a tree grow. Don't do anything. Just simply be there. Silence is life-giving, but it is not easy. Because even if we stop the exterior noise, we still have the internal noise going on. And the way to declutter the interior noise in our lives is to actually remove the inputs, the external noise in our lives. 
And this takes a long time. We all have different lies that we believe to be true. We all have different things that we believe uh, because of what we've spent our time with, the TV shows that we've watched, all these different things. To learn interior silence will take time. Don't get mad at yourself. If you're going to be like, I'm going to spend five minutes with God and two minutes in, you're like, oh, I need to feed the dog. Uh, Don't get mad at yourself about that. Just refocus. Go back. You're going to slip up. It's okay. It is a process and it takes time. But interior silence is achieved when we replace the lies and negative thought loops in our head with the truth of God. Interior silence happens when we are able to rest in the truth and dwell on the goodness of God. But it's not easy. But you have to be intentional. It is possible, though, and we can follow Jesus' example. As I mentioned in Mark 135, Jesus lost sleep to seek silence and solitude. Jesus knew that spending time with God was more important than his sleep. And it might be that you need to give up sleep to spend time in silence and solitude. Listen to me, 10 minutes isn't going to kill you, okay? You know your alarm goes off and then you just sit there, all right? Okay, don't lie. This 10 minutes is worth it. 10 minutes every morning in silence and solitude center you. It helps remind you that Jesus is the reason for your life, not you. And I can't think of a more important spiritual practice in this day and age, because if we learn to declutter our lives of the input and noise, we'll actually make space to be present with the people around us. And in my life, this has been the single most important spiritual discipline. Because when I don't start my day in silence and solitude, confession time, I am easily irritated. I am quick to become sensitive. I'm quick to anger. I'm quick to become annoyed. And I'm quick to shame myself. But when I wake up and when I get into the word of God and when I sit in silence and solitude before him, he reminds me of his truths. He reminds me that I am simply a child of God. He reminds me that by simply being with him, it's him that transforms me. I'm learning, in my opinion, the best way to start this time is by opening the Bible and reading a psalm. And I'm going to be honest, I started this this week, so I think it's going great. Um, (laughs) But I read three psalms, and then I sit in silence and solitude. And this week, I read Psalm 4, and I want to share two verses from that with you. Psalm 4, 4 through 5 say, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds. Solitude. Be silent. That's pretty obvious. Silence. In silence and solitude, we learn to trust God because we learn that the world keeps going without us. 
but we also learn that our primary goal is to abide and sit with Jesus. So when we go back to the noise, we are able to share his love and truth and grace with the people around us. And if we're going to create space to do this, it might mean you need to lose sleep. It might mean we need to be like Jesus in Mark 135, who loses sleep. But this is important. So if you have your Bibles, let's go back to Mark 1. And I want to read what happens after this section. 36 through 39 say this. It says, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The part that trips me up about this section of scripture is verse 39 is only a couple words, right? It's only a couple of words in the gospel of Mark. But to preach through all of Galilee in every single synagogue would have taken weeks and months, right? It is not something that is short and sweet. But if you look at verse 38, what does he say? For that is why I came out. The time that Jesus spent in, uh, the time that Jesus spent in silence and solitude was to prepare him for his calling. The time we spend in silence and solitude will help us step into the roles as followers of Jesus. Remember, we are inviting you into a process of intentionally cultivating space to be with Jesus, to be transformed by Jesus, and to then live the way Jesus lived. So this week, we want to invite you to spend 10 minutes every morning in silence and solitude. 10 minutes every single morning. And this might mean you lose sleep. But I promise you, these 10 minutes with God is of tremendous more value than any sleep you can get. So please join us this week as we enter into the practice of silence and solitude together. And I want to share one last piece about silence and solitude. It's a quote from John Mark Comer about the importance of this practice. And I really feel like it's the best summary I can give you. As we do this practice, speaking about silence and solitude, we come to a place of freedom. Our failures slowly lose their power over us, as do our successes. We get out from under the tyranny of other people's opinions, their disapproval or approval of us, free to just be us. The mixed bag we are, nothing more than children with our Father, adopted into love, free to be a process yet to arrive, and that's okay. In silence and solitude, our souls finally come home. That's what Jesus meant by abide, the very word adobe or home, the place of rest. We come back to our place of soul rest. Let's enter into 
that space this week together. 10 minutes a day in silence and solitude where our souls can finally come home. Lord, as we head into a time of worship, I pray that we would be reminded of Jesus' example in the Gospels. How over and over again, Jesus would withdraw to lonely places and pray. Lord, I pray I pray that we would cultivate that in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would not just be people who say we're saved by your son, but we would be a people that live in a way that shows who Jesus is. Lord, I pray that you would help us create space to sit in what may be awkward and may be weird, but Lord, I pray that we would sit in silence at your feet, knowing that is what our soul really needs to rest and be comforted. May we turn off the noise around us and Lord, help us filter the noise in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen.